Professor Smith, you are the 10th Good Heart Professor we have the pleasure of interviewing and we are very grateful to you for agreeing to add to our archive. You've had an illustrious and a varied career in which you've held academic positions at five universities and professorships at three of those. Yes. I hope that we can talk today about your early life and your career, touching on your aspirations for your time in the Good Heart Chair and then, at a later stage, there'll be a chance to talk about your scholarly work. And again, hopefully, you can talk about your research as the Good Heart incumbent. So, could we start with when you were born, just <laughs> shortly after the war? Yes. In um, 1947. That's right. Two years after the war, born in Christchurch in New Zealand in 1947 in January. Um, uh, my father was in the Air Force. Um, he stayed in the Air Force after the war. He'd been a navigator in the Solomons in Guadalcanal during the war. But he, um, he decided he would stay in the Air Force. And that meant that our early life, I had a, an older sister, and a younger brother and sister, meant that it was a very disruptive life. We came to England, I think the year after I was born. Um, my father was doing um, a specialist navigators course, but the services were such that we moved every two or three years, so the early schooling was very, very disrupted. I, um, I think I went to about five different primary schools while in New Zealand. Yes. Mm. So, Professor Smith, your, your early life was somewhat disrupted because you moved several times. Yes. You went to primary school um, in Christchurch? No, I started in Wellington. In Wellington. And then went to Christchurch. And then to Christchurch. And then back to Wellington. Back to Wellington. <laughs> yes. So. And um, you you started your high school, you did your high school at St Bede's. Yes, but I also had a year in Wellington. Um, well, we moved to a place called Blenheim um, in between, after Wellington, after Christchurch, I think we went to Blenheim. And I made the mistake of winning a scholarship to um, okay. a boarding school. Um, in Wellington, and um, I did not like it one little bit. Um, fortunately, after a, a year of that, my father decided he'd, he'd had enough of the Air Force, and he he changed his job, and we then went to Christchurch. Right. At which point, I had to go to a new secondary school, um, which was St. that was St. Bede's, yes. yes. That a Catholic school? Was well, they both Catholic, all Catholic schools? Yes. yes. The yes. early ones taught by nuns, um, the later ones by priests. Right. Mm. And at that early stage, were there any subjects at school that you excelled in? Um, <laughs> I was most interested, I suppose, in, in literature. Um, I was very bad at Latin. I think I was very badly taught at Silverstream. And then when I went to St. Bede's, um, I had a different teacher and made the subject completely different. I actually enjoyed chemistry. Um, but I didn't enjoy the chemistry teacher at St. Leeds. <laughs> and um, he once told me I was a complete waste of time. I was so cross, I, I worked hard at it. I got the top mark in chemistry in a national exam. He never spoke to me ever again. <laughs> um, and mathematics I quite enjoyed. Um, but again, the teacher, I asked him why we were differentiating functions um, because I couldn't quite see the point of it. And he said, never mind, just do it. <laughs> um, and that, that doesn't half um, put you off the subject, I think. Um, That's right. But some of the teachers I had 
particularly in English. I had a particularly good English teacher, a man called Father Weir, John Weir, who was a poet who had written quite a bit of his own poetry that was a, a, an expert on the poetry of James K. Baxter. And I lost contact with him for quite a while, but met him again quite recently when he published the complete uh, prose works of James K. Baxter, a four-volume work. He's known as 80s. It's a wonderful piece of work, um, quite an amazing piece of scholarship. So I'm pleased to have kept in touch with him. Oh, wonderful to have met him again. Made, made, made in touch with him again. Yes. 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 Must have been very meaningful. He's, it is, yes. yes. He tells me he's writing a biography of Lewis Carroll. And I told him I thought that field was already rather full, but he was not daunted. <laughs> that takes us uh, from your high school, St. Bede's, um, to the University of Canterbury. University of Canterbury, that's right, yes. 1965. 65, thank I, you. When I went. I see. And uh, was there a link between St. Bede's and the University? Not particularly. No. Well, other than that, the man who taught me history um, at St. Bede's was actually giving some lectures at the University in History, and he was a very good history teacher. He, um, I only studied it for two years, I think, with him, but um, uh, he took a very uh, different approach from pretty well all the other teachers at the school and just left us to get on with it, to read and, and write essays and so forth. He was very good. You started um, an LLB? Is yes. that your first degree, or did you have to do a pre? No, no. Um, uh, but in your first year, you did only one law subject, or the others were art subjects. The art subjects I took were political science, uh, history, and English, English. and then uh, legal system. And you had to get a good mark in legal system to get in to be allowed to go on in, in law. Outstanding lecturers or teachers yes, who stand out from that absolutely. time? Absolutely. In politics, um, in politics I had uh, lectures by a man called Austin Mitchell, who was a, quite a national personality. He subsequently came back to England um, and became M MP for Holland Grimsby, the Labour MP for Holland Grimsby, got a major figure here too. A man called James Flynn, who was an American refugee really from the Vietnam War, but a very considerable mind. And then um, J.G.A. Pocock, uh, who's an honorary fellow of St. John's, who was went off to become a professor at, at MIT. Quite outstanding group of scholars. And what actually made you decide to read law in the first instance? Mm -hmm. I, I'd known since I was about 12 that I wanted to study law. I wanted, I wanted to be a lawyer. Mm, yes. Um, Mainly the product of reading. Yes. Reading about lawyers, mainly the English um, barristers, Patrick Hastings, people of that sort. And so you completed your degree and went on to do an LLM. Was that a research course or a taught course? No, um, it wasn't immediate actually. Between the LLM and the, the LLB and the LLM, um, I'd in fact got married in the last year of my LLB, which was probably not a very wise thing to do um, in August of the year when the examinations were in November, so I possibly wasn't con concentrating as well as I should have. Um, but I then went to the Treasury for a year and taught them and worked in the Treasury in, the, in Wellington for a year and decided that, that that sort of practice was not for me, it was extremely dull. Um, and, um, 
I'd always thought about um, being an academic and um, so I went back to Canterbury as an assistant lecturer and did the LLM while I was doing that so the LLM was part-time but it was a, a two-year course um, I did papers in jurisprudence and criminal law and then a, dis a dissertation in criminal law wow. on the doctrine of provocation hmm. at this point you were you, you were resolved to become an academic so that it was just a natural stepping stone to take an assistant lectureship at the end of your LLM. While I was doing the LLM. While you were doing the LLM yes. to start that. Yes. 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 And that was a quite common uh, step. Yes. But um, it was a slightly dangerous step because um, nobody had ever, nobody had ever got a, a first in the LLM writing a dissertation. Now that's not, it's not saying a great deal because the faculty, although law had been taught there for a very long time, um, it was, it, it, its origins were still very much as a place where young men were taught how to become practicing lawyers. So the idea that you might be doing a, you know, a research type degree was not a common one. Um, so that's what I did. Right. Mm. And, uh that you had this position as an assistant lecturer for yes. two years. Yes. Um, and it was at this point perhaps that you began to think about perhaps a bigger stage. Yes, yes. And w what made you decide to think about Cambridge? Yes. Um, well, I, 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 um, the subjects that I taught at Canterbury were, and I lectured um, first year courses in both criminal law and constitutional law. And the two subjects that stayed have stayed with me throughout my career, um, and I also took jurisprudence in in my master's course, and some of that was uh, the criminal jurisprudence of HLA Hart. We studied that, um, and so I knew I wanted to go abroad, and I knew I wanted probably to come to England, and I, I knew that further study would be a, as good a way of doing that as, as any. Um, so I, I looked at both Oxford and Cambridge, and in fact I was accepted for Oxford and Cambridge, obviously. And I had thought of work, trying to work with Hart, but his his work was too philosophically oriented for me. Some of the work that he had, early works that he'd written, and Punishment and Responsibility in particular, wonderful book. Um, uh, in fact, I met Hart um, when he came to New Zealand and showed him round Christchurch. And we discussed um, Gladwell Williams, and uh, it is fair to say that in one of his essays, he um, he shows, I think, fairly convincingly that um, some of the thought, thinking about liability for negligence was not properly thought through, which he attributed to Glanville, which I don't think was quite fair, but, um, but certainly to J.W.C. Turner in um, in. Cambridge at the time um, really uh, had a view of the impermissibility of punishing negligence, which wasn't, just wasn't, um, didn't hold water. But um, so my choice was between those two and then the possibility of Sir John Smith or John Smith, later Sir John Smith at Nottingham. Um, and I came to know John really quite well, but I preferred obviously Cambridge to Nottingham just as a place to, to study. Yes. And um, I also wondered why Gomber and Keys, 
as a college? Um, fairly simple reason. Um, I got a scholarship there. Um, but it wasn't quite as straightforward as that. I, I got a, a scholarship, I got a Commonwealth scholarship, um, which took me to, um, well, it could have taken me to Nottingham or Oxford, um, but I decided to come here with that. And then subsequently I got the, the TAP scholarship, which is a Keys scholarship. And um, there is a strong New Zealand link, as you probably know, yeah. between um, McKees and, and New Zealand. Robin Cook, um, who became Lord Cook, had been a fellow there. Right. And so I was aware of that, yes. that link. And, um, so that was the real... Was the yes. I mean, when you first arrived, that was 1973. 72. 72. Because I came as a student. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. um, was, did, was, was, did it, was it a huge change for you yes. in New Zealand? Yes, very significant change. Um, and a change much for the better, although I, I struggled with the place at first, I have to say. Just the, the, the sheer intensity of it. Um, but... Um, the law fellows then were Michael Pritchard um, and Len Seeley, and there was in fact a third fellow, um, Jim Farmer, who was also a New Zealander. Yeah. And Len Seeley, of course, is a New Zealander. Um, and um, it, it, it helped, I think, that Michael was familiar with New Zealanders and their ways, but um, I went from being a, a teacher to a full-time student again, and I found that really quite difficult found it difficult not having my own place to work because in those days of course the, there was nowhere in the faculty particularly for you to work if you work you know you worked in the, the old square law library now the keys library um, and it wasn't a very congenial place there were people to talk to um, Paul Finn my predecessor um, in the, in the, the good heart chair of course yes. he was a, a year ahead of me but I became very friendly with him Yes. Um, Jim Evans, another New Zealander, was a year ahead of him. So there was a bit of a community, yes. but it was actually quite an isolated um, position to be in. And uh, just the contrast in general terms with New Zealand, which was probably better run um, in many senses, but to come here with, with this huge population density for a start, that, um, yes. Take, must have taken a bit of getting used to. A bit of getting used to, I think that's, yes. what, that's right. Yes. yes. Um, because uh, you were here for, you stayed uh, at Keys from 1973 to 1981. Yes. The third time you became a fellow. I did. Um, there's a story there. The, the third person I mentioned, Jim Farmer, who was, as I say, also a New Zealander. Um, decided that he, he, he was an assistant lecturer, but he decided that he was going to go back to New Zealand and practice law, uh, which he's done and is still practicing law in New Zealand. Um, he, for a while, had chambers between Sydney and Auckland. He's an extremely high-profile barrister. But anyway, he decided to, um, to, to do that, and it meant there was a vacancy in the college. and. Um, I saw it advertised in the Times. Nobody told me about it. Um, I thought, oh, I'll apply for that. So I did and got it, um, to my great surprise. And shortly after that, you uh, became a tutor. That was yes. in 1974. And yes. you retained that until 
1981. Yes. Um, did, what courses were you tutoring? Ah, no, I was a tutor in the sense of um, the Cambridge tutor, so that I had uh, my pupils were people, not lawyers. Right. No, they were tutorial pupils. Um, uh, some of whom went on to great notoriety, including people like um, Alistair Campbell. Interesting. And so we'd yeah. one would watch one's pupils go off and do various things. But no, I was as, as a supervisor and a college lecturer. I was supervising criminal law and oh. constitutional law. Did you have administrative duties? As a tutor, as you a do. Tutor, yes, you do quite significant yes. ones. Yes, having to see the students at the beginning and end of each term and dealing with things when they went wrong, really. Yes. Um, and I think occasionally, no, I never, I never did stand in as, at, at that stage as acting director of studies. Michael Pritchard was the director of studies pretty well the whole, well the whole time. And if he was away, um, then Celia would have done it. Although Len was the senior tutor for much of that period. He's spoken of that and what a considerable responsibility uh, and time commitment. It was a major, major commitment for him because yes. he was both in those days senior tutor and admissions tutor and you know it was just himself and a, a secretary really running the whole place. Um, and the, the master at that stage was a man called Joseph Needham, um, FRS, FBA, a very unusual uh, combination was a man who just um, thought about his subject the whole time and that meant there was a considerable vacuum underneath him right. to be filled by others, others running the college really. Yes. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, do any other notable scholars bring to mind? I know that I'm thinking for example of Crick. I know that he'd left but yes, he perhaps had. you had I met him once. I met, I, I met him, oh, yes. 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 In fact, I didn't know who he was when I first met him, and I was in the company of um, Jim Farmer, um, and we found ourselves talking to him at, at um, dinner one night. And um, the person presiding was the um, quick professor of insect physiology, Sir, oh. Sir Vincent Wigglesworth. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and 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 Crick w was very pleased that he thought he'd discovered the origin of life or something, uh, life or the universe, one of the two. And um, Wigglesworth was teasing him, um, particularly at dessert, about aspects aspects of this. And um, he, he was he, he was a man full of I mean, of fun actually. And, and they, oh, Crick, I'm talking about well, both of them really, although. Wigglesworth was a much quieter gent. He was probably about 80 at that stage. Um, but I met him on Wigglesworth on the stairs the next day and I said I enjoyed your conversation um, with Craig. And he said, yes, he didn't know what I was talking about, did he? <laughs> um, and then the, uh, I mean, the, um, the major figures in the university, of course, were for me were uh, Glanville. Um, he really was a, a great mentor. The other person, um, I would say, I had a huge admiration for was David Williams, uh, DGT Williams, um, who was again a very um, 
Well, I went to some of his lectures and I thought they were the best lectures I, I ever saw. I really did think that he had an ability, because he had a background as an historian, to put public law into a political, social, economic, historical context, and, you know, in addition to the law, yes. in a way that I've never seen anybody else really been able to do. So. And he would probably have been at, well, I know that he was at Wolfson, he was the president at Wolfson. Oh, he was the senior tutor, of, senior tutor of Emmanuel, Emmanuel at that time. Yeah. Yes. And he was a reader-in-law, I think, when I first met him. Yes. Um, but he was very supportive, um, very nice man. And any other scholars that you recall, perhaps Sir William Wade, do you perhaps recall him? Well, yes, he was Master of Keys. He became Master of Keys. Um, uh, slightly forbidding individual um, in, in public, but actually a very pleasant man. Um, and I was involved in his election to the Mastership. Um, I'm afraid David Williams wasn't very happy because um, Sir William came and took the, the uh, Rouseball chair in English law, which I think David had rather supposed he might possibly get, and almost nobody else would have beaten David for it, apart from Sir William Wade, and David did in fact succeed. Yes. Um, Sir William Wade in due course. But um, no, he, was a, he was a very good master. Um, Michael, Len Seeley. Both have mm. been uh, interviewed for the archive. Right. And, um, Obviously, would have been quite well known to you. Very good colleagues. Y yes. 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 Very, very good colleagues. Yes. Yes. Professor yes. um, Smith, you uh, became a barrister and a solicitor of the High Court in 1979. Yes. Does this mean that you had to go back? You went back to New Zealand? No, I happened to be back in New Zealand. Um, I, I qualified for that in 1972. I just I never see. got called, that's all. Right. So I was actually eventually called in 1979, so there was nothing oh. very magical about that. It wasn't as though I was doing any work. It was just oh, that I, I thought see. I might as well get called since I was eligible to be that. Yes. Um, and I had probably got an idea of possibly moving into practice in, in this country. Um, I can't remember now, to be perfectly honest, um, but that might have been what was in my mind, because I did join an inner court in the Middle Temple. There are a couple of other people I perhaps ought to mention. Um, John Smith I've mentioned earlier, who was also a holder of the um, Arthur Goodhart. Uh, from Nottingham? Yes. 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 But he was a Cambridge man, of course, a Downing man. And he became a real mentor. Um, uh, and it was mainly through the what used to be called the Society of Public Teachers of Law. We had an annual conference. And um, John always came. And at that stage, it was the, the work that was done in the subject groups. And Glanville, incidentally, was the one responsible for dividing the annual meetings up into subject groups so that people could talk about their own subjects and write papers and present papers and, and so forth. But John was always there every year and um, he was at that stage writing commentaries for the Criminal Law Review, something he did for 40 odd years I think, it was an astonishing contribution and he was always very happy to talk with you 
particularly in the bar afterwards, you know, over a half, we always had just a half. Yeah. And, you know, he's quite happy to be challenged on the way in which he'd interpreted a recent case and all of that kind of thing. And he would read one's material and comment on it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And the other person was, was Andrew Ashworth, who in 1976 was um, the editor of the Criminal Law Review and he was a wonderful editor, um, very good at reading your stuff very carefully and critically, suggesting how you might rephrase or think a point, think about a point again. And, um, very happy, particularly with a younger scholar, to help people produce a, a good piece of work. I mean, he's a contemporary of mine, more or less. But he's just he's just retired from the the um, the primary chair at Oxford, the uh, name of which escapes me at the moment. I'll come back to it. Um, it's the oldest chair of English law. Um, but he, um, I think I said earlier that I did my um, master's thesis on the doctrine of provocation, and. Landwood had said I ought, ought to publish it, and I was one of these days going to get round to publishing it. And then in 1975, Ashworth wrote an article in the Cambridge Law Journal. <laughs> and I thought, no, I'm not going to publish mine in the light of that. It was a quite astonishing piece of work. And so when I first met him, I think in 1977, at one of these SPDL conferences, we got on extremely well because um, it was quite clear that he knew a vast amount about provocation. Right. Yes. Yeah, so he became a very good friend. Mm. Well, you were in this position at Keys for until 1981 when you were given a readership at mm. Durham. Mm. Um, and I worked out, I think you were um, not only about, um, not very, 34 years old, I think. Probably uh, about something that, like yes. that. <coughs> was quite young. Yes. Um, and I wondered what the circumstances of this appointment were. Hmm. Um, well, the person who initiated it was John Smith. John Smith wrote to me and said, I wonder whether you might be interested in um, taking this position. You know, it's a way forward for you. It's a good little university. John himself came from Barnard Castle, which is up in that area of the, the country, but he was obviously sitting on the committee that was um, appointing to the readership, and um, for various domestic reasons too, which I, I won't go into, it, it was quite a, a good time to think of moving away for a while. Um, it's not that far away from Cambridge, it's only about three hours um, on the train, so um, so that's what I did for a while, yes. And, and in many ways, it was a similar sort of lovely medieval structure. Yes, yes. Um, and um, lovely scenery as well. Beautiful. Yes. yes. Perhaps that reminded you a bit of New Zealand, maybe. Up, up to a point, it was it, it was yeah. it had been lived in for rather longer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the cathedral is, is is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Um, I used to have lunch there quite regularly. They had been the undercroft. Extremely good, good food guide restaurant, which was really quite cheap, but it was very small um, and had been kept small by the, the then dean Frank Dowrick. Um, 
and it, that was quite a controversial stance for him to take. He liked the idea that he knew all the students, he could, knew them all by name and so forth, but it, it did mean that um, the, the, the possibilities for people to get promotion because the place was getting bigger were limited. Uh, you mentioned the dean. You you became the dean there in nineteen eighty four. Yes, but it was a fairly nominal um, position. What um, the place was in practice run by the head of school, but but um, Frank Dowrick was the was the dean. Right. Um, so it wasn't too onerous. No. No. no not really no. at all. No. no. And uh, I taught criminal law there mainly, um, criminal law and public law again. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I talked that with a man called Bob Sullivan, G.R. Sullivan. Um, and we had very similar extracurricular interests, um, rugby, um, cooking and opera. <laughs> and and uh, I got on very well with him. I think he was slightly worried when I first arrived. And he was a, a lecturer, I think. And I think he was worried that I might try to edge him out of the criminal law class. But, um, certainly not. Um, so we did it conjointly, very happily, for several years. And he then wrote a book um, with um, Andrew Simister, whose name you might know. Um, Andrew has been a fellow of Keyes, another New Zealand um, fellow of Keyes, and he's a research fellow. And they've written Simister and Sullivan on criminal law, which is now written also by Virgo and John Spencer. Um, so um, <coughs> he was a very, very good colleague. I enjoyed him a great deal. Still do. Um, I actually have a photograph given to me by um, Lynn Seeley of yourself um, and Professor Sinister. Uh, and Robin, Co Robin Cook, I think. Perhaps. That's right. Almost yes. certain. Yes. Um, maybe, I've, I've got one with um, Jim Farmer in it. Um, but not, not sinister. Yeah. So we Jim Farmer and Ben Seeley, Robin Cook, and myself in Christchurch, which I can dig up if it's a Oh, I'd love to have that. That's right. that. Thank you. Yes. Um, you were awarded a PhD during this period. Yeah. yeah uh, Was it a Durham degree? No, it's a, it's a Cambridge degree by special regulations, right. in other words, by my publications. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. it, well, the story behind that is that Danville, um, after I'd been working on a PhD, we settled on the, on the law of contempt, so I was, I, it took me a while. I knew I wanted to do a PhD, but I wasn't quite sure what I was going to write a PhD on. But I had always been interested in contempt of court, and Danville said, oh no, I think that's a very good um, topic, so why don't you do that? So I started working on that, and after about six months or so, I discovered that um, another quite senior academic in England was writing a book on it um, and there was the possibility of reform of the law in the in the air and so it was actually it was a man called uh, Gordon Borry who became Lord Borry and he did in fact publish a book with um, a chap called Nigel Lowe and so Borry and Lowe was the first book on contempt of court so um, what Glanville then said is, well, um, uh, I'm not sure that PhDs are worth having anyway. Um, the, the usual sort of iconoclasm that you might expect from Glanville. Um, would you 
would you like to write a book with me instead? Um, and so I began working on his book on property offences. And um, he had been commissioned by Sweeten Maxwell to write a four-volume account of English criminal law. So he did criminal law, the general part, in 1961. Then he was supposed to be following up with either the offences against the person, or the offences against the state, or the offences against property. And in 1968, the Theft Act had been passed, and although Sir John Smith, John Smith had written a book on it, it was only on the Theft Act. And so I began working on the, the book on property offences with Glanville. And that was published... Um, 1984, I think. Yes. And I hope that we can talk about that, but talk about your Later. book in a second. Yes, surely. Yes, yes, yes. And of course, I eventually picked up the interest in contempt, which we can come back to later too. And I finished up writing an edition of um, a book written by Arledge and Edie. And Arledge had, in fact, um, been a student of Glanville's um, and had been encouraged by Glanville to write a book on contempt. So he had actually um, scribbled quite a bit of the book and then he got it out. He was a practice, busy practicing bar barrister. He got it out and he and David E. put together a book on really the Contempt of Court Act. And I, it was not terribly well reviewed or received. There was a particular review by a man called Graham Zellick been a student at Keyes, um, became Vice-Chancellor of the University of London, and was Professor at Queen Mary and Dean at Queen Mary and, and so forth. And <clears throat> he was very critical because it didn't have any academic input. Right. So I was the academic input for the new edition, right. which was done, I think, in... The, the, the fourth edition, but, right. but we did a much earlier edition, I think. Um, the fourth edition was 2011. So we've done a second, third, and fourth edition. Right. Thank you. Um, in 1986, you were given a chair at University of Reading. Mm. Again, this was quite early in your career, you were still in, in, your in my 30s, yes, that's yes. right. Mm. And so presumably you moved to Reading to take this opportunity. I did, yes. that's right. Yeah. I think John Smith was in the background again. <laughs> um, and um, what were your specialities at Reading? Still criminal law? And constitutional law. Constitutional yes. law. And uh, you brought out a book during this time, um, the public order. Your, that's right. That's right. In 1987. Yes. Yes. And uh, you became head of the department. I did. Yes. In 88. Uh, any mm. recollections of this period in your life? Yes. Actually, if we just go back one step, um, while I was in Durham, um, I was interested in, in computing in the law. And one of the reasons I was interested is that uh, Glanville. Um, was using a word processor and uh, to keep up with them I had to buy a word processor and 
while we, while we were still trying to work on the book together. It was one of those things that had floppy disks that big, you know, six inch floppy disks, 13 to a chapter sort of thing. <laughs> but um, it, did, it, it seemed to me um, that uh, although I couldn't see it very clearly, that this was clearly going to get better. And so while I was at Durham, um, an organization, a governmental organization called the Computer Board invited uh, scholars to bid for uh, grants on um, the use of computing in their subjects. And so I applied for one um, and got £150,000 um, from them um, to start working on that. And that eventually um, developed into, after I left, it developed into a, um, a special centre. And there were two centres in the country, um, one in Durham and one in Warwick, on, and further monies was pumped into it uh, subsequently. And by the time I got to Reading, um, things had changed quite significantly at that stage, by that stage. And there were one or two people in, in Reading who were interested in computing. Um, but again, I managed to persuade the university at that stage that we all ought to have computers. And I was using them for administrative purposes, you know, sorting out timetables and all of that kind of thing. And um, so that was one of the things that I managed to get done while I was there, to get the whole faculty computerised. Yes. And that was fairly early. It was, actually. Yeah. Yes. Helped by a nice man called John Murdoch, in particular, who, right. who made a bit of a thing of this. Yes. Mm. Interesting. Mm. And uh, I also, um, it was while I was in, while I was in Reading, I, I had a, a very good friend in the sociology department, um, a man called Tank Waddington. P.A.J. Wellington, who was about six foot six and was an ex-policeman. And he was doing quite a lot of work on the public the implementation of the Public Order Act, 1986. He was able to get access to quite a lot of what was actually going on in the, in the Metropolitan Police, how they were actually policing the, the Act. And so when I was writing my book, I had quite a lot of contact with him. Yes. 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 And... Uh, uh, Sir Peter Inbert was a, a good colleague and friend of his, and so I became, I, I got to know him quite, quite well. Um, he was a man who, who managed the Belcom Street siege, I don't know whether you remember that. One of those rather nasty um, kidnapping sieges in, in London. But he was very sympathetic to the academic enterprise, and, and um, so he let Waddington arranged it that Waddington could go and take part in the um, organisation of policing of demonstrations and so forth. And so he was writing about that aspect of it and I was writing about the legal yes. stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Sounds like a very fruitful time. It was. Yes. 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 Yeah. I think it was at that stage too that I did join the little temple. Um, that's right, 1992. No, I had, I had, because oh, I came back here in 1990. I, I think I came yeah. back to Cambridge. In, came back to Cambridge in, in 1996. 
according no. to your hair's skin. Um, no, I'm pretty sure that's 1990. Right. Um, Quang, professor of jurisprudence, I think he was. And he, but he lived in Cambridge the whole time. Yes. And he came back to a lectureship and a fellowship at Jesus. And I did the same thing. Mm. And when you uh, returned, I noticed there were several book publications during this period, between 1990 and your, well, other times you returned yes. to Cambridge. That'd be you, right. You produced your property offences and your harm and culpability, which you was a joint you joint edited. Yes. Um, and I wonder whether by that stage we hadn't done a new edition of uh, the Contempt book. Um, I can't honestly remember. Can you look that up? Yes. 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 Because I think I was made, I might have been made a bench of the Middle Temple in 1992. That might be, might be it. Your who's who entry has it as Bar and Middle Temple. Hmm. Does it have bench? Yes. Um, Does it say when I made when I was made a bench? Call to the Bar. See my note here. Bar and Middle Temple. Um, we can always just, what we'll do at the beginning of the second interview is tidy up any uncertainty. Okay. Um, that's a you know, mm -hmm. good way of just mm -hmm. going back and reflecting. Yes. Um, okay. As soon as you said you came back to Cambridge and you, were you lectured, presumably your specialities were criminal law and public law. Yes, and, yes. Civil, and civil liberties at... at um, at the LLM level, yes, and I also did media law. Right. Um, I did a half paper in media law for right. the faculty. Right. So, yes. in fact, that's an extra six years that you were in Cambridge for making your ultimate departure. Perhaps even more of a wrench, but we'll we'll come back to that later. Well, I think I was in here. I think I was here for sixteen years. Altogether. Nineteen. No, no, nineteen. Nineteen ninety to two thousand and seven. Two thousand and seven. That's mm. right. Mm. You. Uh, were awarded the a chair in uh, criminal and public laws yes. in 1996. Yes, that'd be right. Yes. Yes. You, you were still at Keys. Yes. Yes. Well, as it happened, somebody had left Keys at the same time, so Keys was looking for an, a fellow in law again. Right. So it, it worked out very well. Yes. Mm. Yes. And you became chairman of the faculty in. Uh, 99 and you had this position until 2001 yes um, and i wondered whether there were any innovations that you had brought <laughs> in during this period yes or well, i think there were quite a few um and i think probably the most important one was was the freshfields money um and because when i came back um 
the chairman of the faculty was John Baker. And uh, um, I found him an extremely easy man to work with and get on with. And he was very receptive to, to, to new ideas. As long as he didn't say, well, in, in Reading we did this. Um, but what I found was that a number of the people in the faculty didn't have access to computing. Um, particularly people from the poorer colleges. The people from the wealthier colleges were provided with this by the, the colleges, but people at the others were not. And um, I took the line that um, this was something the faculty ought to be doing something about. And, and so we did set up a system, I think using your fund money, um, whereby people from the colleges who weren't being supplied could actually get computerized. So it was a mirror of what I was doing in Reading. Same sort of same same sort of thing. I didn't realise that. Mm. Um, and then um, it was pretty clear that we were not going to get any government money to help us um, equip the university. Um, and I remember being on various university committees, um, uh, <clears throat> trying to persuade them that you know the law faculty. Um, sorry, um, that the. You know, computing was something in the future, in the law too. Could we have some money for it, please? And the answer was no, we couldn't. So at that stage, we went to the city and we dealt with a very pleasant lawyer called Hugh Crisp at Freshfield. And he was an incredibly decent person to work with. Um, and um, they gave us a significant amount of money, as you know. Yes. Uh, for the equipment and then for Daniel, in effect. That's right. Yep. Um, so that was one. Very interesting. Mm. Yes. I think that goes back to my interest as a plan in the Durham and so it's a, a theme, yes. Yes. The other thing that we did was set up the Herbert Smith um, and that was um, talking to Jonathan Scott at Herbert Smith. Um, and I'm pleased to see that that is still running. In fact, I was a beneficiary of it um, when I had six weeks or so here, while I was still the dean at, at Wellington. Right. Um, and met Jonathan in the course of that. Um, the negotiations were tough, but um, I, I think you know, we thought, and uh, my adjutant in all of this, I think, was, um, was Jack Beetson, I think. Um, he certainly was, and the other thing I want to mention, um, where we talked about a whole variety of things. I think at one stage we tried to persuade them to buy property for us so that we could actually invite somebody and you know accommodate them and, and so forth. But I think they thought that was a step too far, but they have been extremely loyal to us subsequently, giving us this funding every year. And that meant we could invite, we could invite people who we wanted to be here and, and you know, um, so there was that, and then the other thing was the um, endowment of the DGT Williams Lecture. Um, that had been going for a while when I was when I took over, um, but there was the prospect of it being endowed by a man called John Nolan, um, who was a good friend of David Williams, an American. American lawyer in Washington, and um, uh, 
at a certain point, um, we had to gather up our courage and get in touch with John and say, would he be prepared to do it? And he said, wrote back saying, yes, how much did we want? <laughs> I didn't have an idea. So I asked Jack if he would work it out, and Jack worked out a figure, and we wrote to Nolan, and he said, by return, here it is. And um, although it's tended to be focused on public law, which I don't mind, in fact, I think Nolan thought that it would be a general lecture. Um, but uh, as I say, it's, it's mainly been public law since, but that wasn't necessarily a um, condition. Mm, right. No. So those were three. Three um, very interesting. I think three institutional highlights, if you like, and there were other. Um, events, I think, um, very memorable event when um, Lord Bingham uh, came to open a conference on law reporting. Um, I remember that. Do you? Yes. Do you remember at the beginning um, that I made a silly joke about where the, the exits were? <laughs> and if anything went wrong, these were the exits, and I did sort of gestures like a, an airline steward. <laughs> Five minutes into the lecture, the, the alarm bells went, and we all had to go outside. <laughs> um, so there was that, there was the opening of the history room by the Lord Chancellor, Terry Irvine. That's right, it was a wonderful occasion. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The resolution of the, um, the, the difficulties with the building, that wasn't, that was really just after I'd taken over. Um, and it was in the process of happening, the, the decisions had been taken. That's, yes. But, um, Still, you would still have been around during the translocation, um, which was very uh, divisive. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Do you feel, Professor Smith, that the new facility is conducive to, you know, glass and steel and so on, conducive to thinking, academic mm. work? I think so. Yes, I think so. Were you uh, in favour of it? Oh. I wasn't here when <coughs> when the decision to move over here was taken. No, I was just talking about the the difficulty that we had with the noise at the, when the when, the, when yes. the building first opened, yes. and when the, the glass screen was put right through the yes. the middle. Was that during your time as chairman? Uh, uh, yes. yes. It, well, the the, the, um, the implementation of it yeah, was. That's right. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, you know, we saw a great deal of the architects um, at, at, at that stage. Came, particularly with the help of Kirsty Allen, who, who had the major job of, of refereeing that whole um, that whole business. Yes, mm. a very successful outcome in yes. terms of the screen. Yes, yes, that's right. Yes. The other thing we did during my time was put that little cafe in down in the basement. Um, that had been just unused, um, and. Uh, I can't remember whether it was my suggestion, but I think it was. I think I got into a certain amount of trouble about it, actually. Um, I remember there was some criticism. That's right. With, uh, <laughs> and yet, now it's inconceivable that there isn't yes. some form of refreshment. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's right. Yeah, so those, those, are, those are highlights. I know I ought to be thinking more of academic highlights, but... Well, this is what I hoped you would... Uh, didn't know of these um, achievements and you know for the record as a faculty history as well as your own history this is 
Well, these are when they, these, I think they, they happened while I was chair, and I'm not claiming credit by, the, for, for them in, 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 by any means, but um, I think you know, we saw the plotting with a lot of helpful colleagues, and I mentioned Jack Beetson, there were others, John Spencer, Bill Cornish, um, various people. Yes. Really. Yes. A very active, dynamic period, actually. Hmm. I think it was. Well, I think it was yes. consolidating the use, using the use of the building, really. Yes. I mean, we've not had anything like that before. No. And something that was ours. Yes. I tried quite hard to get um, pictures um, uh, into the basement on the walls um, and spoke with um, one of the curators of the National Gallery, I think she came down and had a look at it and we talked quite a while about the possibility of getting um, possibly the products of um, art students' work and putting that sort of thing on her walls on a rotating basis because um, I wasn't very keen on having pictures of, dare I say it, um, deceased white men all over, mm -hmm. the, all over the place, you know, yes. I, I wanted other, other okay. things. Um, Practicalities are a little too great. Um, all kinds of problems about insurance and what happens yeah. to the damaged and all of that kind yes. of thing. So in the finish, it came to nothing. But um, sorry about that. Yes, mm -hmm. I didn't know about that. That's very interesting. Um, you were at Cambridge for sixteen years, mm -hmm. uh, during which time, in nineteen ninety nine. You were awarded an LLD. Mm. This was by the faculty. Yes. 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 Um, any particular comments about that? No, I mean again, it's for published works. Published work. For the, yes. For the various books that I've written. Yes. Yep. You became an honorary bencher in two thousand and one. Ah, right. Yes, that'd be right. Yeah. Um, I, w I wish I'd actually. Um, taken a more active interest in, in Middle Temple earlier because I've um, greatly enjoyed my association with it, I have to say. And both John Smith and Gladwell Williams were benches of the Middle Temple, ah. which is why I chose it. Um, but um, it's a great opportunity for people to mingle with um, practitioners, both barristers and the judiciary and so forth. Um, yes. Yes, quite enjoyed it. Professor Smith, uh, you moved in 2007 after many, many years. Yeah. Mm. We've been close to over 40 years. Mm. Um, that must have been quite a wrench mm. to leave Cambridge. Yes. Um, and I wondered uh, what you, you took up a chair at and deanship at Victoria University. Yes. I wondered why you decided to return to New Zealand. Yes. Um, well, it's mainly family reasons. Um, my son, um, I've only got one son, who is married to a woman, um, Nicole Moran, who was a, a fellow of Keyes. Um, he was a student at Sydney. He was a barrister in London. And they, it was clear they were going to get married and then they decided they were going to go back to New Zealand, start a family, and so forth. Um, 
he, his mother um, died some time ago, um, so he was more or less on his own. Um, and the university got in touch with me and said this was a job, would I be interested in it? Um, you know, they had headhunters. And at first the idea didn't appeal too much because it would have been such a wrench. But on the other hand, um, uh, the idea of actually being around when they were trying to start a family and so forth was something that did, did appeal. Yes. And um, Victoria was known to be a difficult faculty, um, so it was quite an interesting challenge. And I thought, well, I've done this job now two or three places, um, and uh, it's something that I've had quite a bit of experience at, and, and it would be interesting, and it would, you know, an interesting challenge, really. Um, and so it proved. Um, you and obviously you've continued with your research. Mm. Yes. Same specialised areas. Yes. 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 That was one of the conditions um, that I. Um, put down before I agreed to take the position up um, and in fact I also um, wanted to uh, try and teach while I was doing it but that proved impossible. Um, uh, it, it was not so much the deanship as the, um, as the provost chancellorship. Um, That's a relatively recent appointment? No, I took that up at the same time. Same time? Yes. I see. And I was in charge of the law faculty and the School of Government. Right. And uh, that meant I was part of the senior management of the university. And yes. we met every morning, every, um, every week, um, one, one morning a week. But it meant, you know, being responsible for promotions, for budgeting, for the, for the university, um, for the strategic direction of the university. Yes. Um, considerable project. Yes, yes, it was. Um, I got on very well with the Vice-Chancellor, um, who has had been at my at St. Meads as it happens. Really? <laughs> yes. Um, he also had a great interest in cricket, so, but he was also a very supportive figure. Um, and uh, it was very hard work. Um, one of the big challenges for us was the um, research assessment exercise um, and uh, we concentrated on that in a quite significant way and I think in 2012 the results came out and we were regarded as we were scored as the most research active university in the country and uh, the faculty was the top faculty in the country mm. so that was an interesting rewarding yes yes Actually. And really, yes. some really tough decisions had to be taken about the way in which the place was working. It wasn't a really happy place when I first got there. Some of that, um, I, I won't expand on that, but there were ways in which it could, it could be made happier without doing terribly much. It sounds, as hindsight, that it was a, a very worthwhile move, professor Oh yes, I think yes. so. Yes, no, yes. I don't regret, I don't regret it in the slightest. And, yes. um, I was able to come back here for a short time yes. every year. Um, Still retain very strong links. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Uh, which brings us to your present yes. tenure mm. as the Goodhart Professor. Mm. And I wonder if you have any special projects 
um, in mind for your time as Goodhart Professor? Uh, well, I've got all sorts of things that I've got to, to write. Publishers want me to write new editions of books, which is um, something I'm trying to avoid if, if possible, um, because I want to do some more innovative stuff. But I've got some minor um, tweakings. Um, one thing I'd, I'd like to do um, is make um, Arthur Goodhart himself a rather more better known figure than he seems to be. A lot of people don't seem to be aware of who he was or yeah. what he was. Um, but he was, a, he was a very significant figure in a whole variety of ways. There's a significant um, amount of his papers in the Bodleian Yes. Um, it's quite an archive yes. of his papers. Um, uh, a very interesting man. I mean, and as you probably know, he was the editor of the Royal Quarterly Review for 50, yes. 50 years. Yes. Um, he was H.L.A. Hart's predecessor at, at um, University of Oxford as the professor of um, jurisprudence. Um, master of University College, Oxford. Um, I think he had the great good fortune to, to inherit money, of course. Yes. Um, the L stands for Lehman, you know, the Lehman Brothers, the very wealthy um, firm, until the big crash, of course. But uh, he, he was very good at fostering relations, I think, between the judiciary and academics and he was an American, of course. One of the things I'd, I'd like to do too is disinter the reasons why it is the, the chair in legal science. Um, I've tracked down the organization in New York which um, administers um, the funds which underlie it. And uh, um, I hope to see if they've got papers on the establishment of the chair. Um, so that's one thing I'd quite like to do. Um, and the other thing that um, I'd like to help with anyway is get some sense of continuity. Um, because at the moment each one has to come in but almost cold as it were. I don't because I, I know Cambridge reasonably well. So I spoke to Dyson House um, and went to see the house and, and so forth. And my successors of course are John Laws and um, the Dean of Yale, uh, Harold Coe. That's right. Um, so I'm quite keen on talking to John Laws um, in advance about what's involved and um, so there's no surprises and what the, what the opportunities and possibilities of it are really, um, when they're considerable. Yes. Yes. Because I think it can be quite a surprise to scholars who aren't acquainted with the co college system. Uh, yes. It doesn't everything doesn't happen in the faculty. Yes, that's right. I think it can be yes. quite disappointing if that's not accommodated. Yes. Well, I don't think John will be called unawares by that because he was at Oxford, but he read, oh. he read Greek. That um, keeps coming up in his judgments. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and in articles, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a sort of longer-term project, yes, just, to, really just, to, just to foster some sort of, mm. and possibly even write a sort of handbook for the, the incumbents or the, the coming in um, incomers. Mm. Yes. Um, with, uh, before we end, 
uh, have you done, you've presumably you have been teaching as well. Yes, I have, um, yes. And have you, has that been enjoyable? Very. You've been teaching public law, I know. No, well, oh yes, yes, yes that's right. Yes. Yes, yeah. um, but that, um, that involves, as you know, supervising uh, dissertations. Um, and we start the business of the presentation this term. I've been preparing for that. Um, so there's that, but I've also been doing a course with uh, David Feldman on legislation. And um, to, to the best of my knowledge, there's not a course on that um, in the country, more or less. Um, and certainly there hasn't been here. No, um, somewhat surprising that there was, there's no course on interpretation of statutes, as far as I know. Uh, no, but um, not what, that that's different, obviously. But well, um, interpretation is only one small part of it. Um, what we've tried to do is, is look at legislation as a phenomenon, and we, we spend a great deal of time looking at uh, the common law and where you know, how how it works and and so forth. But not anything like as much on on the other great source of law, which is legislation. In fact, it's by far the the bigger, greater source of law. And um, it's been fun teaching it with David Feldman, who's had significant experience of the legislative process. He was the um, legal advisor to the Joint Parliamentary Committee on the implementation of the Human Rights Act. So he has got, you know, something of an insider's view of yes. how the legislature actually works. And um, he had written a book relatively recently on aspects of the legislative process, and it was when I at a conference here in September, I think, a year or so ago, that I spoke to him and said, look, I'm coming to the, the good heart. I don't suppose you'd be interested in trying to work that up into a course, would you? And he, he agreed to do that. So that's what we've done. So that's a project in itself. And whether that gives rise to writing subsequently, I'm not sure. I've, I've broached that with him to see whether he might be interested. Um, and he didn't say no. <laughs> uh, perhaps when we speak again uh, in the summer, uh, you might be able to fill us in on these fascinating mm. ideas. Mm. Um, and I thank you very much indeed for this account, which is extremely interesting. I'm very grateful to you for this. Not at all. Thank you very I much. I know that it be very well received because you have a special place at Cambridge. Mm, thank you. And um, looking forward to resuming our conversation. Right. Well, thank you very much. Thank yes. you. Yes. I think I might go off and do some work now going to the film Bridge of Spies, oh. which is a, a film about. Um, I don't know what you. Yeah, well, I have been on that bridge actually. Not, not size, spies. Spies. Mm. Oh, I'm thinking of that bridge um, in out just near Potsdam. Oh yes. Yes. Right. It's, it's not that. No, 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 no. No, it's it's a um, it's it's a uh, a new film, and it's got Mark Rylance. Right. It's wonderful. Um, who is um, playing playing the part of somebody who's prosecuted for spying? Oh. Abel, who was prosecuted for spying in America. Yes, of course. And that's right. he was defended by somebody. Who, one of the things that I do in learning the law is is. Um, um, a small section on films that um, 
lawyers might like to go and see. I remember that. Yes. yes. Be, a lovely addition to the book. Yes, yes. I, I've got to actually see the films before I can recommend before them. Before you Yes. That's right. If I've met yes. Mark Rylance, he's a bencher he's a bench of the Middle Temple. Really? Yes. And he's, he comes quite a bit. Um, and my co I say co-author, although he didn't actually do any writing, but Arledge, Tony Arledge, I was talking about earlier, who Glanville tried to persuade to do the contemporary, or did persuade. Um, he was master treasurer for a year. And Arledge was a very keen actor, only very keen on theatre. And he persuaded the Middle Temple that they should put on Twelfth Night in the Middle Temple on the 400th year of its first performance, which was in the Middle Temple. And so they put it on um, with Mark Ryans um, and doing the productions and so forth. So that, that was wonderful. Wonderful. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah.